0: Session with Dr. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Halaqi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310 441 0555 i'm a licensed clinical psychologist so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology including any emotional or psychological issues parenting issues and relationship issues as well you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. Before I get into the books, I wanted to make an announcement. I'll be doing a seminar next month or just a few weeks away on Sunday, May 20th from 1 to 4 p.m at the Olympic collection. The topic is going to be communication for parents and partners. So looking at how to improve our communication specifically in two of the most important roles we can have in our lives, one of being a parent and also the other one of being a partner, being in a romantic relationship. Um, And it'll be split into essentially two sections, but of course with a lot of overlap. So that's going to be May 20th, Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic collection tickets are $40 at the door hope to see you there I'll be talking more about it but that's May 20th and we'll be talking about communication all right Uh, getting into the books of the week so the one for this coming week is a, a classic when it comes to borderline personality disorder but I actually have not read it myself it is I hate you don't leave me Understanding the Borderline Personality by Gerald J. Krasman and Hal Strauss. I hate you, don't leave me. And that title itself, um, in a way, encapsulates uh, the way that people with borderline personality disorder can feel. They can have this rage and a lot of anger in them, but very often it's because of this fear of abandonment. Um, so don't leave me. So at the same time, they can act In a certain way towards people that they care about and love. Um, That seems a little bit puzzling, but it's because of this fear of abandonment. But uh, the book, I'm sure, of course, we'll go into more detail and looking forward to sharing that with you on uh, Monday's show next week. And interestingly, uh, people with borderline personality disorder have a very large stigma attached to them, even within the mental health field. It's one of those diagnoses that has a very negative connotation. And the reason why I'm commenting on that is that it relates uh, in that way to the book of the week for this past week that I'm going to talk about now, The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius by Gail Saltz. Uh, the The parallel is or the connection is that this book, The Power of Different, is looking at how many issues that we look at as brain um, abnormalities or brain issues or mental illness We have a lot of stigma and judgments about them, but the whole point of the book is to see that there's actually more to the picture and there are some positives that can come along with these brain differences. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. Um, So there is that connection there, and I'll be interested to see how the authors of I Hate You, Don't Leave Me talk about borderline personality disorder. I'm hoping it is with some understanding and compassion and not judgment. Um, But this book, The Power of Different, was all about that, recognizing that... There is still a very strong stigma attached to mental illness, and we see it as this thing that just has to be removed as something that's all negative. But as she points out, looking at seven different types of brain differences, we can see that actually there are some pros or some benefits that people who have these brain differences actually have. It's not just a negative thing. And even I like that she uses that word different a lot rather than saying ill or abnormal. Um, she talks about brain differences even when it comes to learning disabilities. She talks about learning difference, which I liked that perspective. And I think I mentioned it on last week's show talking about. political correctness and so sometimes we can say well words don't matter it's not such a big deal who cares if we call people if we say someone is a schizophrenic or if we say there's someone who has schizophrenia and we might not think it makes that much of a difference or someone is autistic or a child who has autism and the difference there is that when you say someone is a schizophrenic you're basically labeling them that that's all they are and they are nothing else, and they're basically just this thing that most people we just consider an illness. But when you say they are an individual who has schizophrenia, amongst other things, as is the case with Ellen Sachs, who is was a professor at uh, USC, I believe, law school. Um, she has schizophrenia but remarkably has been very successful in her career, but she is not just a schizophrenic because she has so many other things that are ways of looking at her and identifying her in parts of who she is or parts of who we can say um, she is in this world. And I think that's an important point of this book that we shouldn't label people as just an illness. And we shouldn't just look at these brain differences as just something um, negative. And so she goes through and looks at the different brain differences and how we might see benefits in them. And I'll go through that a little bit, but again, for me, this theme of her book or the thesis, I really, liked because um we look at mental illness in a way that it's just an all negative thing but it's much more complex than that and even when we take it to a smaller degree people even look at what we think of as quote-unquote negative emotions as things that are all bad and need to be removed things like sadness anger anxiety many people just think well if it doesn't feel good removing it is the solution but that's not the case actually our quote-unquote negative feelings, have a lot of benefits to us if we actually try to understand them and see the information they can provide. And similarly, people with different types of what we call mental illness, there's actually benefits or there are some things that their brains can do that maybe most people can't and actually can be beneficial. Now, she uh, is very balanced in my view in how she writes the book that it's not that she says... We should flip everything on its head and think of all mental illness as actually a good thing and a great thing. She actually goes into great detail looking at how people who have these different brain differences have to not necessarily suffer, but deal with the challenges of having that brain difference, that it's not easy, that it could be very difficult and very hard. And what makes it even more difficult is the stigma that they can get from even friends and family, but especially society about having their brain difference. So she doesn't say that mental illness is all just a good thing. And she even emphasizes um, throughout the book that the appropriate treatment is important, that left untreated, many of these mental illnesses can be really debilitating and even life-ending in a way, Um, but that with the proper treatment, people can actually possibly minimize the deficits or the pains that they experience and still hold on to those benefits that they have, which is quite interesting. So I think it's important for us to note this and having a strengths-based approach in general, that we don't just view people as having an illness or a disease, but recognize that, whatever they're dealing with, although it might give them some challenges, it's also important for us to recognize the strengths that they might have. So let's look at some of these things. For example, she has a chapter on distractibility, which um, focuses on diagnoses like ADHD or ADD. And we might think of this as just a bad thing. If you have ADD, it's a horrible thing. It's a bad thing. Now, although she doesn't say we can for sure diagnose him, she says that Einstein appears to have had something like ADD or ADHD, what would have been diagnosed now. And of course, he's considered one of the greatest greatest geniuses um, of our time or of the previous century because of what he was able to contribute and if we judged him just based on him having ADHD, we might have seen him just as a problem child or a kid who didn't want to pay attention to everything or certain things that would have missed on his gifts. And so uh, that's another theme we, we see throughout the book, that if we just see people as having an illness or a difference, and we just want everyone to be the same, something that we see a lot of in today's educational system and In general, in society at large, where we have this idea that, well, all kids should learn all things and be good at all subjects and act a certain way. Or even um, another aspect of people that we tend to want to make the same is everyone should be an extrovert and want to talk with all people and interact with everyone and make friends. Um, But when we have this cookie cutter approach to kids and how we teach them, we don't recognize that kids are different, they are unique, and we can miss. They're great gifts if we try to make them all the same. So Albert Einstein likely maybe would have been a kid who would have not had those gifts been shown the same way if we did not recognize them and tried to make him like everyone else. But Einstein was able to be very creative in the way he approached the scientific theories he came up with, and that's one of the advantages that people with ADHD can have. So although they seem to not be focused... And at times they can have that issue, although something that's interesting is people with ADHD can become hyper-focused when it's something that really engages them, and that can actually be its own benefit. But they're also good at coming up with more ideas. They're more creative. Their brain can go to more places. And so, yes, a lot of the ideas they come up with might not be good, or it might just seem like they're distracted and it's not helpful, but often they can come up with some really creative and insightful things that the typical person Does not. So again, this idea that it's not all bad to be someone with ADHD. There can be benefits and there can be ways that actually the mind of someone with ADHD can have advantages to someone who does not. Then we can look at something like depression. Again, something that most people think of as depression is this negative, dark thing that we have to get rid of. Um, But it's not really that black or white. She talks about the book and... I was thinking of this book when I started this, and I'm glad she mentioned him uh, uh, quite a bit, Nasir Ghayami's book, uh, A First-Rate Madness, looking at some of the world's great leaders and how they became great because of their mental illness, not despite. That was actually his argument. Uh, And he mentions, for example, Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill, but how they both suffered from severe depression throughout their lives, but yet... They were some of the greatest leaders of uh, their time. And uh, it's not just despite that they were over, able to overcome the mental, and this is actually because of it. And so, people who experience depression can oftentimes be more realistic than others. We sometimes think that people who are depressed uh, are very uh, negative thinking and pessimistic. And there is some truth to that in certain ways of how they approach themselves and their lives, But at the same time, they can be more realistic and people who are not depressed can actually have an unrealistic or irrational positivity or optimism that actually isn't facing reality. So sometimes someone who experiences depression can actually be more in touch with what is going on and see what other people might not be seeing, something that maybe uh, Lincoln did, and people argue, as Nasir Raimi does, Winston Churchill was able to see the threat of Hitler, whereas Chamberlain was not, because he was able to have this... Um, dark reality or realistic way of looking at things. People who have experienced depression also tend to be more empathic. It's easier for them, easier for them to feel empathy. They can tap into that own sadness that they experienced and use that or recognize that to allow them to connect to other people and what they're going through and so they can actually be more empathic so if we just try to get rid of depression and ignore it and pretend like it's not there we can actually miss the gifts that it might be able to offer someone it could seem strange to think of depression being a gift and again it's not that we should leave these things untreated or wish them upon someone or want them or ask for them but When someone's brain is a certain way, it's important not to just focus on the negative and recognize we can be more uh, bigger picture, holistic, and see that there could be positives in there as well. And she even has a section about people who think different, uh, including individuals who have schizophrenia. And schizophrenia is known as one of the most serious mental illnesses we can have, um, and yet she talks about who I mentioned before, Ellen Sachs, and how she was able to overcome or has been dealing with her schizophrenia and became a scholar and has contributed so much to to the experiences of people with mental illness in a, from a legal perspective. Um, but she also is able to see things in a way that other people cannot. Now, interestingly, in that section, she mentions and Ellen Sachs herself mentions that people with schizophrenia, almost all of them, if you ask them, would you give that away, or would you trade having schizophrenia away and live without it? Almost everyone says yes, that they don't want the illness. They would want to get rid of it. But in almost every other section, she talks about people with anxiety, depression, bipolar, ADHD. And the people say that although it's challenging and has challenges, they would not trade that if they were given the choice. They would not give that up if they could give that up. So we see that people, even though they have the struggle of living with the mental illnesses that they have, they recognize that it does have some positives. It does contribute to them in a way, either their creativity, their way of seeing things that really uh, they wouldn't trade or give back. And I thought it was interesting. She talks about this theory, looking at mental illness, why it maybe has survived or these brain differences, why some of them can be so prevalent. And she talks about a theory proposed by David Dobbs, called the dandelions and the orchids theory of human behavior or human beings and essentially what that is is that dandelions they can survive almost anywhere they can flourish in virtually any environment whereas orchids need a very specific environment to thrive and survive but they're also very different and so they contribute in different ways so the world needs these different types of people some of whom have it a little bit easier as far as fitting in and and making things work for them in their lives and can make it work in more areas, like a dandelion can grow almost anywhere. But then there's some people like the orchids who can provide something different. And yes, they might need some things to be a certain way or they might have some challenges, but yet we all benefit when we have that difference there. And that's something I really liked about this book, recognizing and realizing that we should appreciate each other and the differences. And even within ourselves, if we are different in some way, not just see that as a negative, but recognize the strength that it can have. So we treat our mental illnesses and we get the treatment we need. So we don't suffer too much, but we also recognize that whatever it is that makes us different. It's not just a negative thing, it's a strength. And that's why I like that word different, even though it itself can have a negative connotation at times, but different doesn't mean better or worse. It means not the same as something else. And so it can have some negative aspects and some, and some positive ones, but it's good for us to look at all of those. So I, I really enjoyed this book and the, that thesis of different is okay and mental illness isn't just a negative thing. There are these strengths and positives about it too that we should be aware of and even as a clinician should be mindful of and when we're treating someone that we don't just focus on the negative because emphasizing the strengths can actually help their overall well-being. So I like that a lot and I'd recommend this book um, by Dr. Gail Saltz, The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and genius. It was a really a good read, so I'd highly recommend this one. It was one of the, my favorite books in a while, actually. So if you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend that one. And again, the book for this week is I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, Understanding the Borderline Personality by Gerald J. Kreisman and Hal Strauss. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. back in the last segment i was talking about the book the power of different by gail Saltz, and i wanted to continue a bit the discussion of that and take in a little bit of a different direction but address something she talks about in the book which is the stigma of mental illness um to begin with again i'll mention you know the power of different i like that title so much because when we look at something like creativity and new ideas and innovation the only way those things are possible essentially by definition is if someone thinks differently than everyone else or thinks something that hasn't been thought of before. So we need different, but yet at the same time, we so often punish or judge different in a negative way. And I think this book is a positive step in the right direction of judging different or taking away that judgment and viewing different as okay and actually not just okay, but as something wonderful and they can have lots of benefits and benefits to the individual but also to society at large and also to work further to reduce that stigma that we attach to mental illness because that is so huge, the stigma we have towards mental illness and it it causes so much suffering in many ways but two big ones that I'll touch on now. One is that the judgment itself is very damaging and causes a lot of pain so if we tell people that being depressed is really bad or you get judged negatively for it or your family um, doesn't want to hear it or thinks you shouldn't let anyone know you're feeling that way or hide your feelings hide that illness even in the Persian culture I've seen and heard people saying you shouldn't Let anyone know about your mental illness because no one will marry you. But not only that, no one will marry your brothers and sisters because they'll think it's in our genes and in our family. And when you get this message over and over again, or that people who have a mental illness are crazy or sick or nuts or psycho or whatever other negative terms that might be thrown out there, these are going to have a negative effect on how the person feels and judges themselves. How good can you feel about yourself when you think there's something about you that is horrible and needs to be hid and needs to be something that you should be ashamed of and your family is ashamed of it, of course, that's going to affect how you feel about yourself. And so these judgments and the stigma that we have that we attach to mental illness really is horrible. And I've seen it so often in my daily life, but of course, in seeing clients, how bad they can feel even in front of the therapist, but of course, it's because they're judging themselves of how you're going to view them for being a certain way. And so this stigma that we attach to mental illness is so significant and it affects the way people feel about themselves in a strongly negative way. And as she mentions in the book, um, there's so many different statistics and very often we know that issues of mental health get underreported precisely because of this stigma. But basically about one out of every two people will suffer from a mental illness at some point in their life half of people will have something so when we try to make it this thing that it's a very rare thing or oh you don't want to be caught dead with anyone knowing you have this or that and then we find out it's one out of every two people we see that we're mistaken in how we judge this and that actually all of us are probably suffering much more than we think we're allowed to show each other. We just have told each other that we're all okay, or we're all doing better than we are, but we're all struggling in different ways and at different times. And that's okay. And rather than pretending like we're not, we'd all be doing a lot better if we actually acknowledged that the truth of being human involves suffering and pain and illness at times, just like medical illness will hit you in some way during your life and definitely someone you know in, in your life. Mental illness will also do the same. It's something that we all experience to different degrees and people around you will experience. When you go to the doctor, almost always there's something with, well, maybe it's something in your blood work that wasn't perfect or some pains you're having. No one's perfectly medically and physically healthy and similarly, none of us are mentally and psychologically perfectly healthy either and that's just part of being human that is the human experience so we have to accept that and recognize that and the more we do that the less people will suffer from the judgment because we won't judge so negatively that someone has some mental issue recognizing that we all have our own and someone you love definitely does too and the second thing i was going to say and is definitely related and in some ways almost caused by the first how the stigma causes pain is because there's such a strong stigma and people don't want to acknowledge that they have any kind of mental illness, they don't seek out treatment for what they are going through. I think she mentioned some stat about people dealing with anxiety disorders and how the averages they wait, was it 10 years, but it's several years before they seek treatment, which is remarkable But the reason why we hesitate, the reason why we don't get help, which is out there, which is available, is because of that judgment. First of all, I don't want to be someone that goes to a psychologist or a psychiatrist because only crazy people do that and that's such a negative thing. And two, I don't want to go because what if they tell me I do have some issue and then it, it confirms maybe this fear or concern I have and then I have to live with that that I have depression, or I'm diagnosed with this anxiety disorder, or whatever else it may be. So people would rather suffer in silence or suffer internally than to actually acknowledge and admit and go get help, which is out there, which is so sad for me. And I see it in my office all the time too. When someone comes in to therapy, sometimes even the question you'll ask them, whether it's directly or indirectly, is, why now? As in, why did you come into therapy now? Because very often they've been dealing with this issue for a while and now something has led to it. Whether it's it got significantly worse and they got scared or they've now entered a relationship and something has come up related to what it is or someone else pointed it out to them. But there's usually something that serves as that impetus rather than just their own suffering initially. Most people, if they have a really bad pain in their body... If it doesn't go away after, let's say, a couple days or a week, they'll talk to a doctor, go see a doctor about it. Because they're like, well, some things doesn't feel quite right. Let me get some help. But when it comes to our mental issues, we definitely are not that quick to get help because of the stigma, because of the judgment. I don't want to be someone that goes to a therapist. I don't want to go and find out I have a mental illness and have that judgment. So I'd rather pretend like it's not there. And so we avoid and we deny what we're feeling. Sometimes the analogy I use about the stigma and how it prevents us from getting help and how actually the stigmas can sometimes hurt more than the illness itself. I use the analogy of someone who, let's say if we had the same stigma to medical illness, they broke their arm, but because of the stigma, felt that they couldn't admit it to anyone or go get help about it. And so they're trying to live every day with that broken arm. And it already of course hurts because they, They broke the arm they're in pain but if they get help and get a lot better but now because of the stigma one they're going to pretend like nothing's wrong so they try to do everything they used to do even like hugging their friends and let's say playing sports or doing things with this broken arm with all that pain just because that pain for them feels like less pain than having to admit what they're going through and they don't get help so of course the break is going to get worse and worse. It's not going to heal. Or if it does heal, it's going to heal improperly and they're going to have more issues and damage to deal with down the line. So we see that what initially was something painful or difficult to deal with becomes much more difficult because this individual feels that they have to hide it. They feel ashamed to admit the pain and ashamed to get help. And this is what we're doing to ourselves and to everyone around us when it comes to mental health issues. We're judging each other. We're judging ourselves. We're trying to pretend like we're all okay when we all are dealing with something. We all have pain. We all need help. And I'm glad we're moving towards uh, less judgment and more understanding and more uh, the destigmatization of mental illness and getting help, but we still have a long way to go. And rather than pretending like we're all happy all the time and we're all okay, We'll be a lot better off if we start to acknowledge what we actually feel and realize that we're all dealing with things. No one is happy all the time. We're not supposed to be happy all the time. That's not part of being human. That's not part of life. And that isn't even a good life. A meaningful life is going to have all types of feelings at different times. And if we can let go of that, and this is for all people, but especially to the Iranian community, to think about ourselves and our families of holding on to this idea that we all have to be okay all the time, or that if you tell someone you're not okay, you look bad or, uh, you're going to be judged in some way. Let's realize we're all hurting in different ways. We're all experiencing pain and we can ask each other and we can tell each other and we don't have to be afraid to show that we're human, to show that we're suffering and struggling and dealing with different things. That's okay. And I hope we can move further and further in this direction because every day in my office, I see that the stigma is still having a negative effect. That the, and these are the people that are willing to go to therapy. I know that for every person sitting in my office, there's hundreds and thousands of people, probably more ill than the person and suffering more than the person in my office at that time who would never go to therapy because of the stigma, because they don't quote unquote, believe in psychology or therapy or they can figure it out on their own. And we can do a lot on our own, but we also can go a lot further and do a lot more when we get help from professionals and from the treatments that are out there. And so in this book, The Power of Different, Gail Saltz does emphasize the the strengths and the power of being different, but also that we need help and there are so many treatments out there to get help and we can't be afraid to get help. So if you yourself are suffering and are afraid to see someone, or if you know a loved one, you think they're suffering, don't be afraid to get help yourself. Don't be afraid to tell them that they can get help and they shouldn't feel bad about it at all. I still am dreaming of a day when people go to a psychologist or a therapist once a year, just like they go in for a physical, they go in for a mental. You go in and get a checkup and see how you're doing, see if you need help. And it's so accepted that people say, oh yeah, it looks like some therapy will benefit you right now. Just like they might say, yeah, you should go get some physical therapy for your shoulder or maybe take this medication or this vitamin. But the therapy becomes that accepted that it's just something that comes up and is very quickly thought of as an option for all of us and all of us experience it at some point in our lives. I always say, I think that everyone should go to therapy at least for some period of time. Um more than anything, to gain self-awareness, but also to heal some of their old wounds and deal with some issues that they're dealing with. And I hope someday we do get to that point where it's that accepted, that just like everyone you know goes to a medical doctor, everyone you know has gone to a mental health professional as well. So we have to continue the work, and one of my goals of this show is to reduce the stigma of mental illness, but it's up to all of us to make that happen. All right, going into our last commercial break. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today's show. I've been talking about the book "The Power of Different" by Gail Saltz, the link between disorder and genius, and how she mentions that although we think of mental illness as a um, negative thing or all negative thing and uh, yes there definitely is suffering and pain and difficulties and challenges that come with it there can also be some benefits and there can be some ways that the brain that is different actually can be very creative and think of things that no one else can and that's why Their subtitle is The Link Between Disorder and Genius. That's sometimes some of our greatest minds, as actually a lot of the artists, and I forgot what the percentages were. When you look at artists, a lot of them have bipolar disorder or some type of either hypomania or uh, something along those lines. So it's very common. So a lot of contributions that we've had in society comes from people that think a little bit different, and they maybe had brains that were a little bit different, which involved things like mental illness as well. Looking at this even on a smaller scale, though, which is what I wanted to talk about in this last segment, is the negative emotions, or what we call negative emotions even. I think that itself is part of the problem. But essentially, usually we consider feelings that don't feel pleasant as negative emotions. Things like sadness or anger, anxiety. We consider them negative emotions. Because when you have them, they don't feel very good. But just because they don't feel very good doesn't mean they are not good or that they're all bad. As I like to say, sad feelings are not bad feelings. If you're feeling sad, it's not just a bad thing. It's something that is giving you information. Just like if you're cold, you know you're cold and you have to do something about it and you're your temperature is going down or you need to cover up or go inside or whatever it might be. Similarly, if you have sad feelings, you want to try to understand it. Why am I feeling sad and see that is actually information, not just something negative. And the reason why this is important is that if we first change this perspective, that negative feelings are bad and that negative feelings are things that need to be avoided, eliminated, erased, denied whatever else it is just to get rid of them. If we can change that, then we can actually change the way we relate to our emotions and to ourselves and even in our relationships, because it has effects on not just us, but the relationships that we have, because we realize that just because we have that kind of negative emotion or emotion that doesn't feel good, our job isn't to get rid of it. Our job is to understand it, learn from it and actually face it and embrace it to see what's there. And we have to learn that first for ourselves because of our own mental health, our own relationships, but also very importantly, as parents, we have to know this and understand this because what I see in lots of parents is they think their job and their duty and their role is to make their kids happy and not just happy, happy all the time. And the flip of that is I'm a bad parent if my child is ever sad or unhappy. If my child is sad, that means I'm a bad mom or a bad dad because that reflects on me. Because it goes back to our own feeling. If we don't want to feel sad, we think it's a negative thing. So if we see our kids feeling sad, we think it's a horrible, things. It's a horrible thing. It's horrible things, a tragedy. Uh, sometimes I like to say when we look at crying, people see it as a crisis like C-R-Y crisis, and they think it has to be immediately dealt with and erased. Whatever it takes to get rid of the tears is basically most people and parents approach whatever we have to do to get rid of it is all we want to do but that's not what we're supposed to do if your child is crying you show them empathy you show them you care you support them and you try to understand why they're crying and your job isn't to immediately get the tears to go away but to help your child understand and learn from and eventually contain those feelings in a way that is healthy for them so that they can grow so we have to get away from this idea of negative feelings as these things that have to be avoided and denied and especially we have to learn as parents that we shouldn't try to teach our kids that these are these negative horrible things that need to be uh, avoided or erased or eliminated or denied and not even paid attention to teach our kids oh you were sad i could see why that would make you sad and i want to understand it more tell me more about that help them learn about their sadness face the sadness go into it don't just ignore it or deny it because what we see happens is when you teach your kids that these are bad feelings both directly and explicitly but also implicitly and we do it implicitly by for example if your child cries you get overwhelmed and freak out and try to make it stop and the baby learns oh Or the child learns, when I cry, mommy doesn't like it, daddy doesn't like it, so I shouldn't do that. It's something bad, it's something negative. And so the child does a few things. One is, they try to hide those feelings, which is not good, and I'll talk a bit more about that. But also, because they are going to feel those feelings inevitably, because it's part of life, they think somehow I am bad. Because I'm having these feelings that I know mommy and daddy don't like that don't make them feel good. So in a way that makes me bad. If only I could not have these feelings. And so they learn to not show those feelings to their parents because they think that's what's going to make them happy or when I show them it makes them unhappy, so let me avoid that. And so you can see a lot of parents who feel so good, oh, my kid is always happy or never gets sad or my kid doesn't feel this or doesn't feel that and they think it's some kind of victory or that it's a sign of how good of a parent they are and how healthy their kid is when it actually quite often is the opposite. If your child is never feeling sad, is never showing those quote unquote negative feelings, this is something really concerning because we know they're having them. It's part of being human, but they are putting them away. They're not letting themselves experience them. So as a parent, your job isn't to make your kids happy. Your job is actually to be with your kids, whatever they're feeling, help them experience that help them learn from it, help them understand it and empathize and reflect and validate whatever it is they feel, whether it's a pleasant feeling or an unpleasant one, we stay with them. And that's something that's very important for parents to keep in mind with their kids and looking at the feelings, this book, The Power of Different, was looking at the mental illnesses, but breaking down the feelings themselves and what they can tell us. Well, let's look at that. Something like sadness can tell us that something doesn't quite feel right. Something is not okay. If you don't want to recognize that you're sad every time you go to work and you try to deny those feelings, maybe you're missing that you're unhappy with your job or your career or some relationship at your job or something that's going on. If you're not aware of that pain, you're going to miss out on the fact that something's not quite right, or sometimes even we get sad when we might be overwhelmed or it's our our brains and our bodies' way of telling us we need to take a break or stop a little bit and we might feel a little bit down. Maybe something is going on. Uh, If we look at anger, anger to me is a very interesting emotion because I've seen both professionally and personally that most families and most people have never seen or very rarely seen anger modeled appropriately. Most families, what you see is anger is either zero or a hundred. People hold it in, hold it in, pretend like nothing's bothering you, pretend like nothing's bothering you, and then, or they blow up. And there's only those two extremes, all or nothing. Either completely hide it, or you can't hide it anymore and you explode. And so we all learn that anger is this really bad thing, because most people don't show it most of the time, and then when they do, it's really ugly, so it's bad. And yes, absolutely, anger can be a negative thing when it's expressed poorly. When people become aggressive and violent, yes, absolutely, that is, that's bad. But that doesn't mean anger is bad. That's anger being expressed in the wrong way, in a negative way. Anger is a sign that we feel like something wrong has happened or we've been wronged in some way and it doesn't feel good. It's almost like an injustice has happened. And that's important for us to know, to have that radar of what's happening and to not deny that and ignore that. Something does something, says something we don't like, does something that makes us feel bad and makes us angry. We want to understand that. And we could learn a lot from that anger because we might even see what are the things that make me angry if I'm in touch with that, because... When I say be in touch with your feelings and that all your feelings are important and all of that, I'm not saying let your feelings run your life or dictate your life. So it doesn't mean because you're angry, you should be angry and you should get angry at the person. You might actually realize once you get in touch with your anger that, you know what, I'm really getting angry a lot of times when people talk about this or when people do this thing to me, I can see that my reaction or my feeling inside is almost too much. And so this is likely related to something from my past or something else that's going on. Because again, our emotions can actually serve as information. They're telling you something. But if we block ourselves from them, if we deny them, if we ignore them, if we try to pretend like they don't exist, we're missing all of this information. And that's very, very important. It's vital information. But So going back to the benefits of anger, when you feel angry and someone has wronged you, if you're able to express it in a common contained way you can actually help repair things in the relationship let your partner or the other person know about you and also repair things and prepare things for the future of your relationship now your partner knows this bothers you or that this makes you upset and you've also let them know and so you don't hold on resentment because see when we have anger that we don't express in any way it builds up it doesn't just go away and this is something that we see in so many different ways. When people hold in their feelings, as much as we think they just disappear, they don't. Your body holds on to them and you might even f- experience physical symptoms. Somatization as it's called when you don't express those feelings. So you have a lot of sadness and grief and you don't express it. And then you get a lot of headaches or stomach aches or back aches. And you go to the doctor and they say, there's no physical cause, no organic cause for what you're going through. I don't know what's happening, or they might know what's happening. This is likely something psychological. And you might say, I have no idea what you're talking about because you've been denying your feelings the whole time. You haven't even realized you're so sad or so angry or what you're feeling. So coming back to anger, when you express your anger in a controlled way, in a kind way, a respectful way to whoever it is, this can be very beneficial. And so we shouldn't look at anger as this purely negative thing, as this all bad thing. Even if you say someone got angry or someone was angry, you usually think of something negative, something bad, someone who was maybe out of control, but it doesn't have to be that way. Anger is a very healthy and normal emotion that we all experience. And so the list goes on of the different negative emotions we can look at, but it's important to recognize that they are not purely negative. They might not feel very good but they can be very informative both to ourselves and to our relationships. And we should not deny them. Sad feelings are not bad feelings. Unpleasant feelings are not ones that we have to just erase or eliminate. They have some benefit. There is something there. And if we ignore them, we actually miss out on a lot. And as a parent, rather than just focusing on trying to make your kids happy, you want to make sure you teach them to be in touch with all their feelings and validate and reflect all of their feelings. So they see the value in all of them and learn to incorporate them and integrate them into their lives. And that is very important. So uh, again, I'll recommend the book, The Power of Different by Gail Saltz. If you haven't read it all already, please do and let me know what you think. I also want to announce again the seminar I'm going to be doing Sunday, May 20th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. It's going to be on communication for parents and partners tickets are 40 dollars at the door so it's going to be focused on how to be a better communicator both in your parental role as a parent and also in your romantic relationships and the themes overlap a lot because communication really is the same the different relationships might make it look a little bit different, but the main themes are the same. And the focus is going to be more on the actual relationships rather than specific techniques. But there will be some of those as well. So I hope to see you May 20th, uh, Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection for the seminar on communication for parents and partners. All right. Reach the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and all of you listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Alakwi. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.